Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Ain't gonna hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandro Luketic. And today we're talking 1993's Firepower. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the film. Firepower, Sandro. This this is not the movie that I thought it was. I mean, it's called Firepower. Yes. Yes, it is. Very little actual firepower in this movie. (laughs) I, I when when Joe recommended or told us basically, he didn't recommend, he straight up said this is what we're doing. I thought he was talking about a completely different movie, uh, about firefighters in the forest. So I was really excited to talk about that, but thank God we're doing this one instead. There's a lot more fodder here than in that one. Um, the heck movie were you thinking of? I think it was called Fire Force. Is fire uh, something? I, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Anyway, definitely not the Richard Pepin directed film that we're talking about today. Um, I don't even remember this movie existing. I do. That uh, okay? That's only because of OSW, correct? Yeah, yeah. I watched the OSW review for it on the um, plane ride back from visiting you in Nova Scotia, actually. Wonderful. So you had some uh, insight going into this that I did not have. Didn't remember much of it, no. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a lot of it was not committed to memory after that uh, viewing. I remember laughing, but that was more at the OSW guys. Yeah, they are absolutely hilarious. Highly recommend checking them out. Um, this, looking at the poster of this movie does not tell you what this movie is about. Nor does the title of the movie. <laughs> so you look at the poster, and we've got two guys with guns. And then in front of them is one of the same guys doing the Van Damme splits, but behind him is fire. I'm assuming that's the fire in the firepower. That could be the guns, too, of which they're not too prevalent in the movie. No. But looking at the at the quick uh, description on IMDb, I, I completely threw me for a loop, because that's not what this picture screams at all. And that just says... In the near future, street gangs have their own city zones where cops can't go. Two tough cops are sent undercover in one of them, or in one of them, to investigate an illegal cure for AIDS. But they must first fight in a death match, and the match is fixed. Someone was just throwing darts at an idea board here. <laughs> There's see- so many pieces of this movie that don't fit together. The movie changes like plot three times yeah <laughs> three drastically drastically yeah. like there, there's multiple times in this movie i'm like wait that we're going this direction now what about this story okay no never mind i'm along i'm, I'm cool with this ride but uh jumping right in man we open outside of cadillac jack's drive-in this diner bar whatever it is looks absolutely amazing i could see myself going there i love it it's a great setting spot uh, a news report on the TV lets us know that there's now a cure for AIDS, but people are manufacturing and selling fake vaccines. And this is where we meet our heroes. Quote, heroes. <laughs> Police officers Darren Braniff, played by Chad McQueen, and Nick Sledge, played by Gary Daniels. 
<laughs> Chad McQueen, Sandro, yes, is sir. the son of legendary actor Steve McQueen. So I've been told. Chad McQueen looks like he's related to Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 100%. And <laughs> I, sorry, I just playing out a scene in my head. And the, uh, what's funny to me is in this scene, uh, Mickey Rourke has a Russian accent because of whiplash. He's just whiplash from Iron Man 2 for me now. But you just see like Mickey Rourke walking up to Steve McQueen being like, a bullet here is yours, is McQueen. You can't just hand me a kid and say, is McQueen. <laughs> like, no, he's a good actor. <laughs> it doesn't matter. How is he a good actor? <laughs> like, two years. He, I, I think he roared. But no, is McQueen. Is yours. <laughs> what the hell? What are you talking about? I don't know. It's just, it's just what played on my head. Can we get back to the movie? Although now I'm seeing it like the kid's sixth birthday. <laughs> McQueen's like... <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Rourke! <laughs> but anyway, yes. Back at so Cadillac Jack in Driving. A, they're in a diner, a cafe, right? Just to yeah. reel you back in, they're in a diner, a cafe, right? Yes. Okay, and then outside the window, they see a girl with a red dress that gets hit by a train. <laughs> what? I've seen this movie four times, and I don't remember that. No, I'm just I'm messing with you, because the last time we were in a diner, it was the Wicker Man. Oh, thank God. I and I, I changed it from a, a transport truck to a train because, well, copyright, right? Like, of course, I understand. Oh, you I really confused the shit out of me there. Oh, okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> firepower. Yeah, yeah I confused you. Firepower. <laughs> it is McQueen. Uh, the TV tells us that the fake vaccine is being made in an area of Los Angeles where police do not patrol. And this area is known as the Hell Zone. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting story plot, but there is no chemistry between these two actors. No. None. No. But it fits for this, what to me is perfect late night TV fare. Uh, Braniff and Sledge get a call about a pursuit taking place and they head out. Um, the people that the police are chasing are driving the most inconspicuous car I've ever seen. <laughs> A zebra-striped muscle car. <laughs> Definitely not going to. Did draw. you get a plate on that one? <laughs> no, it's the one that looks like a zebra. <laughs> uh, they're informed one of the assailants uh, that they're pursuing is the swordsman, and they're speeding through a tunnel toward the zone. Now, we've already been told that the zone is someplace the police do not go, and. Chad McQueen, uh, Braniff, is like, oh, damn it, they're heading to the zone. You're like, yeah, you can't follow them there. Where else did you think they're going to go? And also, why is the zebra car veering all over the road? Uh, it's to show pursuit, you see. It's, the, it's, a, it's a film technique to make it look like an intense car chase. Which okay, And that honestly makes sense because the, the pursuing police vehicles are just minivans. And they're not hitting any high speed whatsoever. It just makes me think of those times. Like, how many times in cinematic history where you see somebody who's supposed to be driving frantically and they're shaking the steering wheel back and forth frantically? It's like, that's not how you drive. No, you would have, like, <laughs> rolled your car already. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Like, make it look like you're going really fast. Yeah, definitely. Um, the police and their roadblock 
Uh, do you notice anything weird about this scene where the, the, the police have set it up at the tunnel just so the criminals drive right into it? Weird as in like a zebra print car or police making a barricade from the side of a city that they don't go to? Which part? Well, both of those are very valid points. Um, <laughs> there's also that the police are only blocking one lane of traffic. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to stop traffic. Just, just to... try drive around it. Well, I mean, this guy's going side to side so much, he's inevitably going to hit one side. That's true. Um, so, of course, they drive right into it, but everything explodes before the collision. Mm. Now, <laughs> an obvious blunder on their part, but the explosions and the crashes look pretty good. I'm not going to fault them on that one. It's just kind of confusing. Um, we get a, a shootout that starts because exploding doesn't kill these guys. No, no, no. Uh, the swordsman, played by the ultimate warrior, gets hit with a smart bullet that takes him down. And then Sledge, Nick Sledge, our good cop, just beats the shit out of the other guy, Mendez before being stopped by Braniff, reminding him they don't need another brutality mark on their record. Are they technically not in the zone now because they came out of the other side of the tunnel? So wouldn't just beating the shit out of the assailant be all right because there's no laws there? Yeah, I agree. I, I just got hung up on the fact that they already have brutality marks on their record. Well, I... <laughs> I'm starting to think the police aren't the good guys anymore, Sandro. <laughs> Starting to. Okay. And they just put, was it Mendez in the back yep. of the van? Not in like a seat or anything. They just open up the hatchback and roll him into the back and close it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was asking for it. I guess. But the most ridiculous and unforgivable part of this scene is as everyone's leaving, there's that Jeep in the background with a plow built onto the front of it and a backup beeper sounding. Just driving by in the background, very ominous. It's got like it has flashing lights on the roof, and nobody notices. I noticed. I, well, yeah, okay, yes, we the viewers noticed. But we cut to the police station where the parking lot is blocked by a fence that would probably topple if I leaned against it. Anyway, our police minivans pull in. The boys go inside and book Mendez, and it's revealed that he has some of the fake AIDS vaccine on him. But the police have no idea what that is. Even though the news report they were watching earlier showed exactly what it was. Yeah, uh, police are dumb. But uh, also, fun note here, we find out that gas is up to $30 a liter. Oh, man. Too close to home, man. Too close to home. Also, I'm pretty sure the uh, the Americans uh, go by gallon, not liter. So what's going on here? This is what you're investigating? There's so many flaws in this movie, man. Everything's just jumping out at me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. M Mendez is put in a cell, and we get some foreshadowing here with the... Ah, uh, oh, you the missed lock. when they smashed his head into the counter. Oh, I didn't miss it. That guy gets <laughs> beaten out of him repeatedly. <laughs> oh, I think he's trying to resist arrest again. He's just standing there, and they smash his head into the counter. Now I'm no longer surprised of the brutality marks. <laughs> the surprise should be that they actually documented that. You've got this yeah. guy here who's like the admissions clerk 
telling them to smash his head. It's like, in what situation would these cops be like, oh, man, we better put that in the report? I, I This is that kind of movie is all I can say. It, it Joe kind of broke my brain with this movie. Uh, as I was saying, there's some foreshadowing here with the palm reading technology for the lock to the cells. Um, but we meet Captain Croy, played by George Murdoch, and Braniff asks for his leave, which is understandable. And then we learn that the swordsman has been arrested and brought to the station. So let's leave that personal storyline aside. Um, so far, what's your take on the warrior's acting? I mean, at this point, he comes in handcuffed and kind of smirks as the laundry list of crimes on his file go by. And that takes a while. What am I supposed to go? Like, yeah, he did a good job standing there and grinning. And that's the thing. Jim Helwig was not an actor. I think they really used him to his strengths. Like, he can look intimidating, but don't make him talk. And honestly, I'm... I think we're led to believe that the swordsman is the big bad of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, at least the muscle. That's for the one big swerve. Bad. Um of course, Warrior fights off all the officers, breaking legs, arms, wrists, faces, and then gets tased and dragged into the cell. And I also watched the OSW review of this movie, and I noticed this before they brought it up. Do you want to talk about the uh, the cells that these uh, criminals are being held in? Uh, no, you can do it. You don't even remember, do you? They didn't even go to the top. Exactly. The bars stop about a foot and a half from the ceiling. Yeah, no, I don't remember this. So you could easily just climb out. But our Jeep that no one cared about before, the Jeep with the plow on it shows up outside of the station, and again, no one seems to hear it coming it plows through the gates into the garage then a bus of the thugs pull up and fights on and at this point i'm thinking okay this is a siege movie i can totally get behind that i love siege films uh it, it, it honestly it makes sense for what seems to be a low budget movie to have a single setting but no that's that's not it at all it's we get a siege in about five minutes or less mm -hmm, yeah um, we get a reminiscent uh, gunshot from uh, from RoboCop when one of the thugs shoots off an officer's hand and uses it on the lock to the swordsman's cell, but they just leave Mendes behind. No way that would have worked. He no. uses a shotgun, <laughs> and it cleanly cuts the hand off. <laughs> nah, no, that thing would have been obliterated. <laughs> Speaking of obliterated, though, uh, <clears throat> do they just murder the like in the entire precinct except for Braniff, Sledge, and the captain? Yeah, I think so. They set up people that I assume were going to be around for the majority of the film, and they're just dead. Yes. So, it's surprising. Like, I did not expect this movie to surprise me as much as it has. Stupidity and some interesting storylines. <laughs> but <laughs> Let's keep a counter of how many times you're surprised or disappointed. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Get that whiteboard out. Uh, a, a chase of the bus ensues. And a shooter from the bus takes out a police helicopter. Sledge wipes out on his motorcycle and the bus makes it into the hell zone. Okay. We kind of assumed that's where they were going anyway. That's where they're going in the first place. And I don't know why they would do this, but Braniff and Sledge follow the bus inside. Full riot gear and everything. 
eventually tracking it down at the Palace Theater where the marquee reads Death Ring tonight. So we've got these cops in full riot gear entering this theater. Do they not think this is a horrible idea? They have no jurisdiction there whatsoever. I think they've got, what, a gun each? It's yeah, no, basically they, asking to be murdered. They don't think. No, they don't. At all. I've conveniently, though, conveniently, the swordsman left Mendez in the jail, though. Yes. At the time, seemingly for no reason at all. But as we later learn, for plot convenience. No. Not at all, man. There, it, we would like to think it's for plot convenience, but he doesn't need to be left there for the information he provides. But it's because of the timing. If he wasn't left there, he would have been able to identify them earlier. Uh, yes, you're correct. Like I don't already know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, so like I was saying, cops in the hell zone, no jurisdiction whatsoever, full riot gear, gonna draw attention. No. No, much like the Jeep, nobody pays them any attention whatsoever. Nope. And I was thinking, this this bar is very dark. There's like only red light. There's leather-clad dancers. Um, and I'm thinking, outside of the police station, there really hasn't been any good lighting in this movie. And I'm what do you mean spending- outside of the police station? The police they didn't have a budget. This well. is the same set. We'll just dim the lights and put some tables in, and bam, we got our bar. I don't think I've ever seen such a low-lit film ever in my life. Well, that's how you make it look like you're in a bunch of different sets. That's true. Um, we finally meet our big bad Drexel, uh, played by Josh Ruskin, who I have uh, written here as a discount Lance Henriksen. Uh, he's notified of the police in the bar. Doesn't really seem to care. Because everybody's welcome. But then we see that next to him is the swordsman. And yeah, so the swordsman is the big bad's main henchman. The swordsman got there pretty quickly if we were to believe that he was the one that threw the guy out of the bar. Was he the guy that threw the one out of the bar? Well, the thing is, they, they go looking for the swordsman. And they ask the prostitute outside where the swordsman is. They don't get an answer. No. But then a guy gets thrown out of the bar and they're like, oh, that's our answer. He's in there. It's like, so you just assume that that's the swordsman? That could have been anybody being thrown out of a building. Yeah. Or if it, it was the swordsman, he now kind of bamfed over to where Drexel is. So <laughs> Can you imagine inside the bar? He's like, holy fuck, gotta make it back. Gotta make it back. <laughs> yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't show that part on camera. Yeah, it shows Drexel looking at the screen. is like, everyone's welcome here. And behind him, his warrior bent over, hands on knees, be like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. No, no, I saw his wrestling entrance. That dude can book it. That's true. He's just running through the bar, pumping his fists in the air. That would have been awesome. It would have been great. He still needed his tassels. I'm disappointed. I don't think I saw him do a gorilla press at any point in this movie. I think he did one. What? I gotta go back. No, I'm not watching it a third time. Um, We get an SNES era versus screen of the next two combatants for the Death Ring. Psycho versus Maniac. These names are terrible. Like... Worst side of American gladiators ever. Oh, yeah. Absolutely terrible. Um, you want to... You care to describe what the Death Ring is? 
No. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, it's a cage fight. <clears throat> Straight up, just a cage fight. Uh, also an octagon, much like the last movie we covered. No holds uh, barred. I see the connection. Yes. I see the connection. It's the octagonal rings, right? Yep. And wrestlers. No, no other connection. Just no the neck. octagonal rings. Um, occasionally, the cage is electrified. Um, weapons are made available periodically. Uh, what the crowd believes to be at random, but we later learn this is not the case. And there's two. But later, we learn it right away. The first time weapons get released, we see it's the computer guy. I didn't think we saw the guy. I thought we just saw a computer. No. Drexel flat out tells him what weapon to put every single time. There's Uh, no confusion about it. That's weird because later on, it's led to be a reveal. The thing that I don't understand. Well, it's revealed because. Okay. One of the things that I don't understand is how these weapons are held in place. Magnets. Okay. One of the weapons is a bow staff. Magnets. (laughs) It's like, does it have a metal interior? Yes. I'm watching it and I'm like, some of these weapons shouldn't be held up by magnets. No, it it doesn't make any sense. This movie does not make sense. Nothing about it makes sense. The the idea of the hell zone, that doesn't make sense. Rules for a death ring, that doesn't make sense. Cops following criminals into the hell zone. That's just fucking crazy. The plot of this movie. It doesn't make sense. All character actions. Every single character in this movie. Their actions? They don't make sense. But now we meet Lisa. Played by Alicia Das. Who takes the bets for the fights. And then randomly one of the patrons shoots Braniff in the back. Sledge shoots him. And then another guy who pulls a gun. Claiming, too bad we can't do that in the real world. But you have, because you have brutality marks. Uh, but he didn't just flat out murder a guy by shooting him. He just had brutality marks. Like, get with we, it, man. We we don't know. <clears throat> we don't know what he did. Resisting arrest, apparently, is standing still, not doing anything, and gets your face smashed into a desk. Uh, and this was an opportunity for the filmmakers to really explore a character, and they don't do it. This is a perfect point to start seeing Sledge unravel while in the Hell Zone and just kind of going crazy with free will. It would make perfect sense. It would make his character at least interesting. Do you, okay, do you find any character in this movie interesting whatsoever? Um, nope. Kind of like Braniff, but there is somebody that I find quite quite interesting other than that be all garbage people well lisa's not a garbage person uh yeah okay yeah no lisa's fine she's just in a bad situation yeah uh the two beat up a few more people and braniff announces to the rest that they're looking for the swordsman and this just causes the rest of the bar to erupt in laughter why (laughs) because looking for the swordsman is a foolish thing to do yeah if you just wait a few minutes, he'll walk through that door. Right. Pumping those fists. <laughs> uh, they walk through the back halls of the club before finding themselves in the audience of the Death Ring. And this time it's Viper, which completely caught me off guard. Just played by Art Camacho. He was an amazing stunt, stunts person. Uh, and uh, a nameless fighter. Or he might have been named and I just missed it. <laughs> I 
I don't remember what it was, but I bet you it was bad. Oh, terrible. Uh, and Sledge, being an asshole and all, just criticizes their fighting styles. But we get a great cameo from Nils Island Stewart as the bouncer. Do you recognize this guy at all? Oh, come on, man. It's never a good thing when you start a question with that. He is one of the most recognizable thugs in film history. Except for the Kano mask. That was kind of weird. You remember bald guy has braided ponytail in the back? Nope. You've got to be kidding me. He's never. I he remember who you're referring mask. to in this movie. I don't know who he is outside of it. Wow. All right. Anyway, surprise, surprise. Art Camacho wins the fight. Good job, Viper. Uh, cut to the police station where the captain tells our heroes that the liquid from the previously seen vials might indeed be the AIDS vaccine, but their labs think it might be fake. Yeah, it's fake. It's fucking fake. We know that they're being <laughs> manufactured by the criminals and you get a vial of it from a criminal. He's not it's wandering around with the AIDS vaccine. One of the major plot points that we were told about and was in the news, uh, the news report. <laughs> and it's, it's just kind of randomly brought up throughout the movie. It's never really key to anything. Um, here, Sledge suggests the two go into the zone undercover. And I have so many problems with this movie. Uh, the, the, the captain just says, no one's going to miss Sledge. But Branov has a family to think about. And then just agrees to the plan. Um, so you're going to go undercover. At the place you just shot two people in, in your full... Yeah, okay. Cool. They were wearing helmets with visors, Sandro. Clear visors! And you don't think anybody would have gotten a good look when they were laughing at them for asking about the swordsman? No, nobody laughs with their eyes open. <sighs> That's just creepy. Sure. Brandon returns home and his wife, Sue, played by Kimberly Cockrell, is furious about him picking up a new assignment and not spending more time with his family. And that just is contradicted later on. I'll, I'll let it go there. I like that, that you said furious. <laughs> because trying to understand what emotion she's trying to convey is rather difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's, she's not good. Kimberly Cockrell is not good. That might come back in later conversation. But we go back to the death ring. Brandoff and Sledge arrive undercover, which is in their plain clothes. <laughs> good thing nobody <laughs> noticed. Yeah. How about you, like, get a haircut or try and change your appearance somewhat? Nope. There's no way nobody would recognize them. Yeah, I know. No I just way. commented about that. Specifically the most Australian-sounding British man who has ever lived. <laughs> and that, that bugs me throughout this entire film is Gary Daniels' voice. Anyway, we see our first swordsman fight, and it's against Gerald Okamura. Do you remember him? Set you no. up again? He's the torturer from Showdown in Little Tokyo. Okay. Spoiler. The swordsman wins. With a? Sword. Sword. Nobody finds it interesting that the swordsman always gets a sword, but okay. Well, that's how he got his name. Luck of the draw. Yes, luck of the draw. A sword. Every <laughs> single time. I do like how the odds change when weapons are revealed. Who's Who's... Who's placing their bets before then? I don't know. Yeah. Like, if you're going to bet on something, knowing that the odds are going to change soon afterwards, 
I mean, unless they stop taking bets, which would make sense, but nothing else in this movie does, so I'm going to go with this. I find it interesting that the top tier of combat is fights to the death, where they use the same weapons as the non-fights to the death. Yeah. Who's stopping that fight from, from ending with death? No one. There's no ref. There's no laws. <laughs> yeah. It should all be lethal fights. But I guess it is a business. They are making money off of the bets, so... Yeah, they need somebody to return alive. I do have to say, one of the best performances in this movie comes from somebody we don't see. And that's the announcer, played by uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who I did not recognize his voice, but I had to look him up, and he was Boom Boom Washington from Welcome Back, Cotter. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen that show, but Boom Boom was awesome. And he's fantastic throughout the movie, I have to say. Okay. Wow. You really have nothing to say about this. You hate this movie, don't you? I don't know. I've never seen <laughs> Welcome Back, Cotter. You keep referencing shit. <laughs> well, if it's not directly in the movie we're watching, don't assume I know. All right, so what's your stance on the film up to this point? Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Uh, we get an introduction <laughs> to the chief handler, played by Michael Gregory, who throws the boys their mandatory newcomer blue attire and laughs off questions about the rules because there are only three rules. No moves before the buzzer sounds, stay on your feet, and the loser gets half pay. Hey, that's more rules than they had in No Holds Barred. Mm-hmm. Interesting how you have to win five fights, though, before you're Three. allowed. It. It's five. Three. Five. Three. Prove it. No, I'm not watching the movie again. <laughs> five fights it is before you're allowed to win that champ or into the championship <laughs> rounds, which it's are three. the lethal ones. <laughs> So five fights in, you get to compete for the championships. Um, I guess that's one way to build up fighters for the crowd, though. Like I said, it is a business of sorts, some sort of racket. Uh, doesn't really seem like that kind of establishment, though. A little bit too thought out, but whatever. Can I just choose not to move up? Can I, can I stay in this tier and just make a smaller paycheck but live if I lose? Yeah, it's, this is all driven by the fighters. They're like, I'm here for the money. Like, well, How about you just... Save what you're making and just don't die. I guess you don't get a choice to move up or not. If you if you win those fights, you move up. Yeah, because I mean, like, obviously you're going to fight the swordsman at some point, and well, he's the swordsman, so you're not going to win that one. Speaking of which, though, he walks by the handler who points out the new recruits as fresh meat, and the swordsman, well, uh, Hellwig again, just looking at them and laughs to himself. Uh, loved it. I actually He's got this like little sideways smirk. Yes, it's, it's so egotistical and cocky without having to actually say a word. I know because he's not a good actor. We know that much. But I personally believe that he recognizes them from the police station, and he's just excited because he has also seen that. them. He saw them without any uh, helmets on. He knows what they look like, and he's looking at them now. And he's like. Oh, okay. Right, because he saw them in the police station where they didn't have their clear visor riot helmets on. Exactly. What the hell? <laughs> Which Clearly means... that's not what we're supposed to believe, but they did a poor job of it. Well, it has to. And that just negates leaving Mendez there. Unless <laughs> the swordsman's like, I'm just not going to tell anybody anything. I'm not going to tell my boss that there's two police officers fighting in his death ring. I'm just... 
hoping that they don't die before they get to fight me so I can try and kill them. Plot holes. Yeah. The handler tells them not to get too attached to anyone because they'll most likely have to fight them. But also, drinks are free after the fights. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> this movie is so fucked up. It's so bad. And now, one of my favorite parts. The handler asks them what they want to be called, like for nicknames and whatnot, and Sledge just wants to be called the Hammer. A little on the nose there, eh, buddy? Yeah. The Sledge Hammer? Yeah. And then says... I bet you some writer was in the writer's room like, ah, I'm a genius. This is the funniest shit ever. I know. I guarantee this is fucking Gary Daniels being like, oh, my character's so cool. He's got to be the Hammer. Sledge Hammer. It's just perfect in his Australian-British tone. Uh, but he also tells the handler that Branham's going to be called the Pussycat. And the handler just says, no, no. The handler says, that sounds terrible, which I agree with. Yeah. And then, and then decides, we're going to call you the Alley Cat instead, which is just as bad. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say just as bad, because he implies that being called the Pussycat will just get him murdered immediately. <laughs> uh but the weird thing is, Brandon just he is indifferent. He doesn't care. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Just put me in the ring. I don't give a shit what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here uh, comes that... Jack off McQueen. All right, cool, whatever. That name's terrible. From now on, your is McQueen. <laughs> the guy's whip last junior. <laughs> <laughs> you lashed the whip. The guys try to buddy up with Viper, and. Didn't you hear the chief handler? Don't make friends. They forgot about that. They're like, drinks are free after the fight, Viper. Do you know this? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah, I've been scrounging money here for a while. Welcome. And Viper fights Dr. Death. But Dr. Death, Dr. Dies or something. I guess it's non-lethal. Dr. Death does not do well. Brandon congratulates Viper after the win. And now we get more of that bond forming. It's so organic. Uh, yeah. It, it is probably the most forced scene of dialogue in the movie that is filled with forced dialogue. Yeah. I agree. Sledge is up next fighting the Gorgon. Oh, my God. He showboats the entire time and still manages to knock out his opponent, instantly making him a fan favorite. And again, play with this idea of Sledge just accepting the fact that he can get away with doing whatever he wants. No repercussions. Go crazy inside the ring. Fucking go do crimes outside the ring. Fucking let this character just go nuts. I would much more appreciate this film if that was the dynamic here. We had the the two solid cops. Okay, we know they're not solid, but let's just say like the two solid cops without brutality marks on the record. Uh, <laughs> Go into the hell zone, and one of the cops just goes fucking crazy, and it turns into cop versus cop. We get Sledge versus uh, Is McQueen, <laughs> and that movie is already better. So much. Have it where like Sledge is even killing people in the non-lethal matches. I mean, you got weapons. It's perfect. It's perfect. Show him just flying off the handle, and that's that's the the climax of the of the movie is a fight in the ring between <laughs> the hammer and alley cat. That, that could have happened in this movie too. Right. Even That's, if sledge wasn't going off the handle, it's like the villains are like, all right, let's just put these guys against each other. Yeah. What I are mean, they going to do blow their cover and not fight? 
It's a good point, man. <laughs> it is a very good point. Uh, next match, uh, Alley Cat versus Stomper. Oh, my God. The terrible names do not stop. Can you imagine if Braniff lost the fight? His first fight, he gets his ass kicked. <laughs> it kind of got that impression, too. And it's like the, the one guy outside of the room is like, here's your blue. And Sledge is like, I'm no rookie. And Brandon's like, yeah, all right. You know, I'll put this on. Yeah. I suck. Your blue is like, all right, blue shirt. Yeah, blue pants, too. I need to make sure that they know I'm a novice here. You got your ass kicked by Thumper. Stomper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, again, to the lighting that I was talking about earlier. I guess they were trying to use it to hide the fact that Chad McQueen cannot fight. No. So they're masking his face. You never see his face in the fight scenes whenever the character is throwing a strike. He's not There's overly well built for a guy who's going to be this role either. But Gary Daniels, that light is directly in his face. We need to see that Gary Daniels is a martial artist. Yeah, he's jacked. He is jacked. I'd say cut more than jacked, but... Yes. Here's another flaw to this death ring thing. You go up to the lethal matches by winning, but you get half pay if you lose. So what you're saying is I can just lose every match, not die, still get half pay, and not be forced to go up to the lethal matches? Yeah, I didn't think about that. What do you do for a living? Uh, Just get my ass kicked. (laughs) I mean, it's only half pay, but... It's half pay, but I make sure after the match that I drink half a pay's worth of free booze after. So really, I mean, I come out on top all the time. There you go. (laughs) Oh, wow. Sorry, I'm not used to all this talking right now, uh, especially post-COVID. My my voice isn't there. Apologies to any listeners. Um... Drexel has been watching that alley cat stomper now. This is the stomper fight with great interest. Um, during the fight, though, do you notice the sounds that Stomper is making? No, no, it's like C level video game sound bites. It sounds like a 16 bit fighting game, like they actually just spliced in those sounds. Yeah, I'm um, cool with that. And this is where I have, we get the reveal that it's Drexel picking the weapons, not uh, the computer at random. So apparently I missed out on that. The boys and Viper are having drinks after the fights, and Viper warns Braniff to stay away from Lisa because she belongs to Drexel. Trope in every fucking action movie. The potential love interest has something to do with the villain. What the hell is Braniff's plan here? He treats her like dirt? Why? I don't know. So this is part of your master plan to get information out of her? This doesn't make any sense. Is I can't remember. Is this... This is the second time they have an encounter. The first time he asks for a drink, and she's like, I take bets. I'm pretty sure that's this time. That is this time? Okay, yes. yeah, before we just see her wandering around. That's right, taking the bet. <clears throat> uh, Braniff tries to get information out of her uh, while Sledge goes to get laid. And again, perfect. Sledge just starts spiraling out of control, man. But I'm pretty sure he even implies that he's going to the prostitutes. Yeah, he is. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's cool. It's legal here. What do I care? Yeah. Uh, Wild Drexel appears. We get a sense that he knows what Braniff is up to and basically threatens him not to fuck things up. 
Oh, and also stay away from Lisa. Okay. Do does Drexel know who Braniff is? I, I mean, don't see why we would believe he does. It just seems weird for Drexel to interact with that one fighter and no other individual fighter. And then his shock later on to discover he's a, a cop is like, well, he's staring you right in the face the entire time. Your right-hand man knows who, who that is. You watched him on camera wearing his riot mask just yeah. the other day. And at one point, he gets uh, the staff or like the rods, and they acknowledge the fact that it looks like he's used them before, which is what he also had the first time they go into the bar. Well, I, I almost feel like when uh, Draxel, is it? Yeah, uh, Drexel. Yeah, Drexel. Uh, tells them to give him that weapon, it's because he's already theorizing that these are the cops, and he wants to, like, prove it to himself. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Uh, back at the Braniff house, father and son are playing Super Nintendo. Sue appears and gives him shit about how he looks, and then tells him to quit, and then forcibly pulls Billy the son away to go do his homework. So first it was you need to make money. Then it is you're not spending enough time with your son. Then it's you look terrible. Then quit your job where your money's coming from. And then stop spending time with your son. Well she doesn't want him to quit the job. She wants him to get like the desk job. No that was it beforehand. And now it's straight up quit. Before she mentions the desk job when he says he has that new assignment which is going undercover. And now it's just straight up quit. I had to go back and double check that one because I also found it weird. It's a very inconsistent character. Well, I just want to know what video game they were playing. Yeah, really. It's clearly a Super Nintendo that they're playing, but that game does not exist. No. I, I'm trying to understand the dynamic in this family, man. Like, what does, what does Sue do? She's a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, but the other time we see her, she's already shipped her son off to the grandmothers, and she's just hanging around on the phone. Uh, yeah. Um, Braniff's already stated that when this job's over, he's done, and that it's going to be paying dividends. Um, also, telling him he's a bad parent and then insulting him in front of their child while they're bonding over video games seems, I don't know, contradictory. I'm just confused why he thinks he needs to do this. He's the one who suggested going undercover. Yeah. You could just not. Your chief didn't even want you to go. He said, yeah, nobody will miss Sledge. Send him in. <laughs> but you have a family. He's like, yeah, I, 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 I need to get away from that. Yeah, but you want to make him a better character? Have Sledge go in by himself. And then when Sledge is killed, he goes in for revenge. Not beforehand. But whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there really is no drive for Braniff to do this. Now, and it's because he's a cop, and that's what he has to do. Uh, back at the death ring, the handler spies Braniff eyeing Lisa, who's been roughed up, I guess, by Drexel. It's a definite abuse here. You don't get used to it, because that uh, black eye makeup is gone very quickly. Next scene. Yeah. Uh, Braniff and Lisa talk about their life problems and this is our major bonding moment between the two and Braniff claiming he doesn't want anything from her yet for some reason is flirting with her the entire time and says he has a wife and kid yeah so it's a very awkward clunky scene and I'm not really sure what the point of it's supposed to be 
They have less chemistry than he and Sledge have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's people reciting lines. It's like pe two people who hate each other forced to act out a seed. Uh, I have to say, though, the handler here, it, who's pretty much impossible not to like, gives Bran of some friendly advice to keep his nose clean and not be too curious. It's not healthy around there. And Bran of says he's just outside for a smoke. <laughs> and the handler's like, that's not healthy either. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. That was a good line. Next, Alley Cat versus the Stomper. Didn't we just do that? Yeah. Braniff wins. I the fight the fight choreography in this movie, I has I have to say, it, it's it, very good. I really enjoyed the fight scenes. I, almost, uh, I enjoyed the sledge ones. I mean, you can say what you want about his voice. He's definitely a good like combatant, but uh, Chad McQueen is not great. It, well, he's not doing any of the action scenes. Uh, even when they cut to his face, just not believable. His face isn't believable? Well, I mean, not that he's in like, that There's situation. no way that guy's a McQueen. <sighs> he's not. He's <laughs> Whiplash Jr. Uh, quick bonding moment between Braniff and Viper, and then on to the next fight, which is Sledge versus the Maniac. And there's okay. no way Sledge is losing yet. No. Again, perfect example of the, the lighting issue I was talking about, how you never see Bran's face, but here it's Gary Daniels front and center the entire time. Doing backflips into the arena. I, I He's kind of won me over, man. I don't know. As the movie progresses, I kind of like the characters more and more, even though I know the acting is terrible. Uh, we get more, uh, more Braniff and Viper time. Viper admits that something is off about Braniff and Sledge, stating they don't seem to be there for the money, but for something else. How? How are they not displaying that they're there for the money? They're fighting. Nobody else is, like, walking around being like, how much money did you make? Like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's fixed. Yeah, did yeah. you win your fight? Because you only got half pay if you didn't. Like, yeah, I know. It's like, Thanks. you know who else hasn't mentioned anything about the money after the initial time? Viper. Yeah, it's true. Can you imagine they, they rat him out for being a cop and he just gets murdered? <laughs> I think he's on to us. We need to set him up. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfectly that would, good that's a perfectly good dastardly move for Sledge to pull. I was just about to say, that's something Sledge would be perfect for. Oh, we're rewriting this movie as we go, and it's becoming a much better film. I don't know. I think it's just jumbled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have firepower, too. Firepower, or... Uh, no way, man. We're not going to call it firepower-er. That would imply that there's guns in it. We'll call it, like, nuclear fallout. Perfect. And it'll be all about martial arts in the Colon death ring. firepower three. What happened to two? <laughs> <laughs> firepower four, starring Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, sorry. Back to what I was saying about the Braniff and Sledge and Viper. Viper just starts dishing information about Drexel during the conversation, which I find strange. And the handler interrupts, saying that the challenger in a championship match bailed out and Viper's being bumped up, even though he hasn't qualified yet. And I love this, because this is just a fucking easy way to get rid of somebody who saw something or knows too much. <laughs> like, okay, put him in a lethal match, rig it so he dies, problem solved. So, what we're saying is that you can back out of the lethal matches. No. Uh, that, well, well, apparently one guy did. Yeah. 
I'm sure they just obviously said that to get Viper in. But I get I think they could have come up with something better like he he got killed in a bar fight or like Stomper's dead. Viper you're in. How is Stomper dead? He's just lost multiple times. I, I, pick, I picked a name at random. Insert stupid name here. He's dead. You're fighting now. <laughs> that way it's no no one backed out. You can't say no. It's just one of the competitors died. The cowardly tickler has left the building. <laughs> That's the best name you could come up with? They they murdered Pussycat. I think because of the name. And you know, Brandon's like, holy fuck, thank God the handler changed it. <laughs> There's no way Viper can, can lose this, right? Understood. Viper versus the rocker. Is it the rocker? I think it's the rocker. That's what I heard. What did you hear? I don't know. <laughs> They're all terrible. Well, Viper's making quick work of his opponent, and Drexel is not happy about that. So when it's time for the weapons to be made, Drexel denies Viper's access to one, resulting in his death. Do you remember what I complained about in No Holds Barred? The everything. Yeah, but specifically comparing it to the Royal Rumble match? No. Where you just turn your back without actually verifying that your opponent is defeated? Oh yeah, this isn't a, a like a willingly like a willingful thing, but Viper just stands there yanking at the weapon for how long? You know your opponent got a weapon. Turn around and at least try to defend yourself. No, I'm just gonna keep yanking on these. Well, yeah, in times of desperation, you just keep yanking during post-fight drinks. Which seems ridiculous to me. Post-fight drinks after your friends just died, I would not stay in the bar. Uh, Braniff tells Lisa that Viper was going to tell him something about a vaccine. And she runs off. Oh, right. The vaccine storyline. That was yeah, happening in this. Pops yeah. up again. But I don't think, I don't remember anyway, Viper talking about a vaccine. I think he was just talking about Drexel. I could be mistaken. But it doesn't matter because we just cut back to the police station. Captain Croy tells the boys they're off the case. They refuse, and Croy relents. Which basically is just, you're off the case. No, we aren't. <laughs> All right, then. You're still on the case. <clears throat> hey, Mendez, remember that guy? Well, he's getting sent to a maximum security prison, but is rescued by Drexel's men during the transport. Uh, Mendez uses a police computer to find out Braniff's identity. Which means that Mendez was in that holding cell for how long? Days. Yeah. And days. Yeah. Lisa confronts Braniff, saying she wants out and knows about the vaccine and where it's being produced. All right, so we're moving along with this uh, vaccine storyline again. Uh, and then we get the most blatant Terminator 2 ripoff scene I have ever watched in my life. And that includes ripoff Terminator movies. The fucking box of roses assassination attempt. Not attempt. Oh yeah, that's not an attempt. She gets fucking murdered. Yes. And I hate to say I don't care. No, no. Because yeah. they've given you no reason to care about this character. It's it's the two shittiest characters in the movie, one killing the other, and you're like, this could really go either way, and I'd be happy. I guess they needed to give Alley Cat more motivation. <laughs> right 
Yeah, he's like, finally, I'm free. Uh, Sledge prepares for his fight, so break out those Van Damme splits. It's almost like any actor, any martial arts actor in film who can do that needs to do it in every movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is a staple of early 90s action films. Um, Great scene between Mendez and Drexel. Uh, Mendez sees the Versus screen on a monitor and points out that Sledge is one of the cops that grabbed him and then just exposes Brad of two. And at the last second, Drexel changes Sledge's opponent to the swordsman and makes it a lethal fight. I'm wondering now in the crowd, like, there seems to be a lot of just random changes being made at the beginning of fights now. I'd be pissed because if I'm one of those people that places a bet before the weapons are issued, stop changing the shit on me. My money is on Sledge. Uh, Opponent change to the swordsman. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. Uh, I'm sure Sledge will be fine. Yeah, it'd be great if, like, the the ultimate demise of Drexel in this movie is people finding out that the matches were staged and an entire crowd of people who've been screwed out of their bet money just rush them. How would that happen in a lawless environment? How would they get away with it? (laughs) I guess they'd be able to identify the (laughs) crowd in a police lineup. (laughs) Um, Sledge isn't fine, Sandro. No, he's all right, man. Uh, he beat the shit, electrocuted, and decapitated. I think he's... Uh, he'll come back from it. It's just a it's just a scratch. Rub some dirt on it. Yeah. He, I did enjoy how he did uh, Hadouken. That visibly did not touch the swordsman, but rocked it backwards and made him drop his sword. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I also yep. believe that Gary Daniels played Ken in like uh, one of the Street Fighter low-budget movies. This I do not know. Yeah. Anyway, the distraught Braniff <clears throat> beats up a security guard, steals his gun, and just flees, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it almost looked like he was going to be pursuing them. Yeah, I thought he was going to go, like, take out Drexel or something, but he can come and go as he pleases. I don't know why he had to beat up a security guard to steal his gun. So the octagon is like a chain link fence. Partially, and pops above the ground, much like the bars of the jail cell stopped up below the so ceiling. So it's not going to stop a bullet, and there's no laws. So what is keeping Braniff from just running into that room and shooting the swordsman? It's a good question, but he doesn't. He's ambushed by another guard, but the handler knocks that guard out and lets Braniff escape. And I say let escape, but he, like I said, he could just come and go as he pleases. Yeah, well, unlike his partner, Braniff kept his head on straight. I'll let you have that one. All right, cool. Braniff gets home in time to see his wife's corpse on a stretcher. Might want to cover that up, but... Which I guess is what finally pushes him over the edge? I don't know. He seemed much more distraught over Sledge than his wife. So he returns to the Hell Zone and is met with gunfire. Uh, Why... Why does he need to see his dead wife if he has no real reaction to it? Why have that scene in there at all? Why have that? Why have Sue's character in there at all? Nothing comes from it. I just think that Braniff is a shit father because he's like, oh, she's dead. Rather than go and be a parent to my son, how about I just go and risk my life? Yeah. I mean, you could write out that character altogether and just have, like, him taking phone calls from somebody being like, when are you coming to pick up your kid? 
bam, instantly we know he's a terrible father. Uh, but yes, returns to the hell zone is met with gunfire, kills two thugs, then blows up a bunch of cars for some reason, and then heads into the death ring. Um, we were talking about low lighting for set changes. Uh, this empty set, I think, looks pretty cool. Um, they they really did make the most out of whatever money they had, I have to say. But Drexel appears on screen, shows that he has Lisa captive. Mendes appears and shoots Braniff, but he's saved by body armor and kills the goon. And now okay. it's time. Yeah, exactly. Really. Yeah, I was kind of rooting for Mendes, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's the end of the movie. Shoot, shoots Braniff, roll credits. Uh, now it's time for a one-man siege on the lab, uh, which is just standard action fare. It's exactly what you would expect. Um, but it leads to Drexel uh, holding Lisa at gunpoint and forcing Braniff to fight the swordsman. Of course the swordsman beats him down, but Braniff makes a comeback and wins the fight in the shittiest way possible. Um, dodging a sword strike, the swordsman swings his sword into an electrical panel, electrocuting himself and dies. Yeah, he derped himself to death. Yeah, that was absolutely terrible you had this guy built up as a monster there's got to be some better payoff to his for his death than that i would have preferred the shooting him in the octagon thing yeah when he's defenseless better. well drexel dies next in an even more ridiculous way because Braniff just throws the swordsman's sword at him impaling him and a quick kick sends drexel through a skylight down into the lab and through a table See, this is where it would have been better if he, like, played a video of Drexel talking about how he screwed everybody out of his money, and then the entire bar goes after him. Yeah, I agree. Like, mob mentality is something that this movie was ripe for, and they never really touched on it. Uh, but after Drexel falls through the table, Braniff and Lisa hug, and the movie's over. It ends very abruptly. It's by far the most rushed ending I think we've ever covered on this show. Yeah. Yeah, so that was firepower. It sure was. It sure was. Uh, let's talk money. Okay. Care to guess on a budget? $50 in good intentions? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't find any information <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> you want to know how much it made? $50 in good intentions? Who the fuck knows? Because no one's reporting it anywhere. <laughs> There is no record as to how much was spent and how much was made with this movie. Joe, why? This is this has got to be some sort of like money laundering effort. Like we just need to turn it, get it into one business from another, and uh, eventually it'll come back to me, the director, Richard Pepin, and <laughs> a little bit to writer Michael January. <laughs> what what did you guys pay the actors in a credit for their portfolios? <laughs> <laughs> really all we had to pay Chad McQueen was <laughs> the legal fees to change his name to McQueen <laughs> Gary Daniels uh, it was just the uh, the sex workers for him <laughs> the warrior steroids it was great we told him that this movie would make him bigger than Hogan <laughs> uh Ratings. IMDB. I know what the IMDB is, so don't ask me. Yeah, 5.2. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes? That I don't know. The critics? Take a guess. 
47. Who knows? There are no ratings. <laughs> None. Not a single one. And the audience score is even worse than IMDb. It's at 24%. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe some good came out of it. Perhaps somebody watched this movie and came up with the idea for, oh, what was it? The Grudge? The Grudge? Wait, what's the movie where, hold on, there's like one lawless night? The Purge? Yes, The Purge. Yeah, I guess. I'd be like, all right, well, then this movie was worthwhile. It gave somebody the inspiration for that. I just love it. Like, it's like they they were writing the movie on the fly. The movie starts off like, okay, it's going to be the police chasing a villain. Then it just turns into villains laying siege to the police station. Then it just turns into blood sport. Uh, And the AIDS thing never gets resolved. Uh, Unless we're to assume that nobody would have taken over Drexel's place if they already had a warehouse built for that. Mm, Interesting. That would be firepower, too. Sure. Awards. Okay. Well, you lead us off, my friend, with worst performance. Or, no, not performance. Apologies. Least favorite character, though could be for the reason of worst performance. Sue Braniff. Kimberly Cockrell. I hated the character. I just hated the character. They didn't need to be there. And their their actions contradict their intentions, resulting in a redundant character that didn't do anything for the story whatsoever. It detracted from this movie. You? Oh, I had uh, I had uh, Kimberly Cockrell as Sue Braniff written down as well, and not just because the character was a pointless, whiny, nagging nothing. The actor did not do a good job either. It, it, I already said it was a very bad performance and a bad character. Like, there's no redeeming quality to this character or performance whatsoever. No, nothing. I mean, we both said it. She gets killed, and we're like. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like if it, Mendez shows up and kills her, but you know, like they show up in the same scene and one of them's going to die, you're like, yeah, I'm fine with either. Let's see how this plays out. Yeah. <laughs> I am very curious to know who your favorite character was. Uh, so I was actually debating between two, mm-hmm. but I ultimately went with Michael Gregory as the chief handler. Yeah. I absolutely could have done with more of him in this movie. Yeah. What uh, what is it about the handler that you liked? I just I mean he's just a cool character. He's kind of he's kind of knowledgeable. He's on the inside, but he's kind of keeping to himself. And he seemed like he would have been a better target for uh Braniff to kind of chum up with and get some information from. Ultimately, he does help the hero that we're supposed to be rooting for to get out of there. Like, he's <laughs> just a pointless escape attempt. Yeah, like, he was just a cool character that, honestly, if it was like, who would you want to see more of in this movie? And Like, I could have taken a lot more scenes with him in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could have built up an entire backstory about how he got his injury. Maybe he used to be a closer partner with Drexel, who screwed him over, but gave him this job. Like, you could have done a lot with this character. If you told me that they made another Firepower movie, but it was a prequel focusing on the handler's rise into the uh, hell zone and specifically the death ring. I would, I would be excited to watch that. 
take away the character of Drexel entirely and just have it where at the end the reveal is the chief handler was the main villain and he was pulling the string as strings from a position of lesser authority. That works too, man. You know, it just says like a cover type thing. But what about you? Uh, it was a back and forth for me because I'm not going to lie. I actually enjoy the character of Darren Braniff. Um, and I think Chad McQueen was cast perfectly to play that character. But you're right. The best character, at least my favorite, is is Michael Gregory as the handler. Um, he stole every scene he was in. Even when he's playing that like hard-nosed badass by the books, this is how it is character and you see him warm up to Braniff throughout the movie like it's a character who's figured out what his role is and he's happy to stay where he is he's obviously surviving doing just fine with what he's doing he's not trying to get into too much of the dirt he's not trying to be too nice to everybody he knows to keep a distance from everybody but at that same time is rather endearing and that's yep. a lot of emotion and character to portray in very minimal screen time. I think Michael Gregory did a great job. Nice. Yeah. I was also debating Captain uh, Croy. He was, he was pretty good. Yeah, he was quite but, good, too. But ultimately, I didn't go with him. All right, so what did you have for your favorite or most memorable line? Oh, my God. Uh, it's the very beginning of the movie. Um <laughs> It's one of the newscasters, one of the news anchors, and it's just such an exposition dump, and it's such a ridiculous statement at the same time. And it just is, when the city council, in an effort to reduce the burden on strained police budgets, created the Zone of Personal Freedom in 1999, where police services would not be provided, it seemed like a good idea. Like, no, it doesn't. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> That's one of the worst ideas you could ever have. And what was the point? So the police wouldn't go in there? And then it turns out, when there's no police around, severe, horrible shit takes place? Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? And it sets up everything in the movie. Um, it also lets us know that that was started in 99, and this is seven years later, so it's 2006. Which I... I also found it a little strange. Anyway, it's just a ridiculous line that dumps way too much story and is, in and of itself, completely stupid. So this, sorry, this movie takes place in ninety or two thousand and six. Yeah, because okay. it uh, said they created the zone of personal freedom in ninety nine, and then there's another sentence at the end of this run on sentence where he's like, "In the seven years since it was started, blah blah blah." So yeah, two thousand six. Okay. Right. What's your uh, memorable line or favorite line? Uh, so I just want to touch on something real quick before I do. Okay. Don't put a Super Nintendo into the movie. All right. That's all I want to say. If you're going to make a movie in the future, and this is my same issue with things like Johnny Mnemonic, make up fake shit. Don't you have a don't problem like with Johnny Mnemonic. I have a problem with Johnny Mnemonic where it's like, oh, you have a 512 megabyte capacity. All right, cool. We're walking around with like one terabyte flash drives. Make up your own thing. Call it a cranial unit for all I care. Because you date yourself oh. when you try to use technology in a future standpoint. 
This movie takes place in 2006, and they're playing a Super Nintendo. In 2006, the PlayStation 3 was released. Obviously, they didn't have that when they filmed the movie, but don't assume that things aren't going to change. You know what? This is too minor of a point, but it's a common one for me. Just make up your own shit or don't put it in there. It's That's 2022, it. and I still play Super Nintendo. I do too, but uh-huh. that's not the intention there. You know that. I know. Right? Like, they could have been doing anything, playing catch for all I care, right? Or like I said in Johnny Mnemonic, make up your own thing. Cranial units aren't going to become outdated because they're not a thing that exists. Anyway, my uh, most favorite line was when the police chief said, no one is going to miss old Sledge here. And it's coupled with Sledge's reaction like, hey. <laughs> yeah. What the? Come on, man. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> oh, Gary Daniels. I hate him. I don't know how Please. I feel about Gary Daniels. That, that was still a good moment. And part it of was, it was, I mean, that was one of his better reactions. Yeah, he's the just reaction like, did help with that. It's like, what the? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> No one's going to miss me. Like, you're supposed to be my boss too, asshole. <laughs> That's probably uh, the best acting he did in that movie. Uh, unless you count physical, because obviously oh, yeah, stunts. Yeah, martial sure. arts stuff was phenomenal from his end. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Memorable scene. Uh, so for me, it was the moment of Sledge kneeling. When you're anticipating what's going to happen, the swordsman is holding the sword above his head. In maybe Chad McQueen's best moment of acting, the concern on his face when he's kind of realizing what's about to happen. The way that they shot it from behind with the lights in front of them, almost silhouetting the pose of the the swordsman with the sword above his head and, you know, kind of sledge on his knees with his head like kind of tilted forward. It was very powerful for didn't belong in this movie. <laughs> That's a great scene, man. Really, really good scene. What about you? Uh, my most memorable was the, uh, the siege on the police station. Uh, it was <laughs> <laughs> the scene that made you think this movie was something completely different from what it ultimately ended up being. Yeah. Because like it is, a full-on assault, and I mean that in multiple ways. Like, of course, it was assault on the police station, but, like, an assault on the viewer, because, like, they just crammed so much action into such a short amount of time, and it was all crazy, intense, over-the-top, fun stuff to watch. Like, I did not expect to be that entertained that early on in this film. Uh, I think it was very well done, uh, although I did hate the uh, the shitty visual effects of... Uh, swordsman being tased but other than that it's insane wicked shootouts uh just super intense super intense for firepower it was great okay so what is your final thoughts on the 1993 action movie firepower uh this is not a good movie no i love it I love this movie so much. It is such a fun watch. It makes no sense. So I don't even try to figure that out. But 
there is so much to laugh at. There's so much to just enjoy. It is a, probably one of the best examples of a late night watch you will ever find. Um, <clears throat> cheesy action, great fight scenes, cheesy acting, ridiculous script. Um, Chad McQueen, great. Gary Daniels, great. And I only mean that in their role like you if you cast anybody else in this movie i don't think it would be as enjoyable and i don't mean that in that their performances were good they just added to the cheese factor of this movie and this is one of the cheesiest action films i've ever seen but that's what makes it so much fun it doesn't have to be great it doesn't have to be competent as long as i'm entertained that's fantastic <laughs> and that's what it is i was entertained from the very beginning and whether it was watching cool action scenes or being like that's one of the fucking stupidest things I've ever seen before <laughs> I was always engaged with what was going on minus any scene with Sue but uh, I love this movie and I will definitely recommend it on the grounds that you can't sit there with a critical eye you just have to be along for the ride and if you are I, you're going to have a fun time I have to strongly disagree with you, man. I know you do. You always do. I think do. you absolutely can watch this movie with a critical eye. This movie can be recommended to any and everybody. There's either people that are going to love it for what it is, or there's going to be people that are going to love hating on it for how bad it is. This movie is a 100% recommend to everybody. <laughs> it will be different things to different people, absolutely but it is something that you're either gonna enjoy because it's great or you're gonna enjoy because you can't look away from the dumpster fire i seriously have to thank joe for recommending this i'm on the fence i want to thank him but i also want to just like like no i love it no <laughs> i love it so much i did not have a problem watching this twice for for this episode at all I have to say, the okay, the movie is on Tubi and it is on YouTube. And I've had this movie on for days. I just have it at various <laughs> points. Like, I'll walk in and hit play and it's just on in the background. And when I get up to go do something else, I hit pause because I'm just going to watch part of it when I come back in. Like, it's, it's, it's so entertaining. It's entertaining. It's not good. It's no. entertaining. It's very entertaining. Wow, I uh, I honestly did not expect you to. I wouldn't say enjoy, but ha have a fun time watching. This is absolutely the kind of movie that I would have watched when I was younger with my friends. Yeah, hoping for a terrible movie so that we could just rip into it, and yeah. that is that the kind of movie that I would have loved. Now, as somebody who would want to watch it for being good it's just i'm laughing at just how bad it's made and still managing to keep my attention it's, it's just a phenomenon yeah it's it's an odd one for sure um i'm glad i'm so glad i i was well i guess was forced to watch it but it is something i'll be revisiting frequently all right, so that is our thoughts on the 1993 movie Firepower. If you would like to share your thoughts, you can always hit us up on social media. As usual, we are on Twitter at BSBargainBin, Facebook.com slash BSBargainBin. Leave your comments in the YouTube comments section. That being said, next week we will be doing our 
July fan pick. Do apologize. We missed last week's episode due to illness. So there won't be another episode between this one and the fan pick. Ben. Yes. What are we watching next week, my friend? Well, we're staying in the year 1993, and we are going to be talking about a Mike Myers film that I have never seen before. So I married an axe murderer. Hi, my name is Mike Myers. Perhaps you recognize me from my recent motion picture, Wayne's World. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. As you can see, I'm on the set of my new film in which I play a young fellow named Charlie who gets a little more than he bargained for. For example, there's suspense. Have you heard of this case? Mrs. X. She murders her husband's on her honeymoon, then she changes her identity and marries again. I've never heard of it, so what? I think I'm dating Mrs. X. The Justice Department reports an alarming rise in the number of poisoning murders across the United States. It's a smart drink to improve your brain power. You like it, Charlie? Thank you, no. There's action. Charlie. There's something I've been meaning to tell you. She's a killer. Charlie, she is not a killer. And of course, there's plenty of romance. What do you look for in a girl you date? I know everyone always says sense of humor, but I'd really have to go with (laughs) breast size. You're lying on your side, totally asleep. You could just... Stick a needle So... As you can see, it has all the elements of a truly great motion picture. Oh, did I mention the axe murder? Hello, sweetheart. Missed me, darling? <laughs> all right until next week have a good one is mcqueen